I say kids can save animals because I really do believe that and advocacy has no age limit. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can advocate for anything you believe in. That was nine-year-old Kate's co-author of Let's Go on Safari, a book about saving Africa's wildlife. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Joy and today is Endangered Species Day. In honor of this very important day, we are hanging out with two very impressive wildlife warriors. Kate Gilman-Williams and Michelle Campbell met on safari in South Africa and immediately hit it off. Kate was fascinated by the wild and her guide Michelle encouraged that growing passion, something that she herself clearly has in abundance. We were so lucky to talk to these two ladies while they were on their book tour together around the US. We talk about the importance of wildlife advocacy, what readers of Let's Go on Safari can expect from the book, and Michelle's other important project, Wild Wonderful World, which focuses on connecting people from around the world to conservation projects in Africa. A model that developed after Michelle and her partner spent well over a year exploring the continent and learning about conservation issues. As always, you can use the show notes for this episode as a guide, which you can find at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. So let's go on safari with Kate and Michelle. Let's start with learning a little bit more about you, Kate. Can you tell us how old you are, where you were born and where you are living now? So I am nine years old. I live in Austin, Texas, and I go to Trinity Episcopal School. Wow. And you were born in, in Austin, Texas as well? Yes, I was born in Austin. And have you always loved animals or did your trip to Africa spark your passion? I think when I did go on safari, it really did spark something because seeing animals in their natural habitats was really cool and magical for me. And meeting Michelle also really changed my life. Michelle, we've heard a lot about you from Kate and her mom, Lynn. We'd love to learn a bit more about you. Where were you born and where did you grow up? Thanks so much. I was born in Johannesburg, but I grew up in five different countries, actually, in Southeast Asia and Europe. And Michelle, we read a bit about your background in the book. You were a macroeconomist in Dubai. <laughs> now, that's quite a change. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your career and what was it that made you decide to take a completely different path literally into the wild. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it was certainly pretty different working in an office. Um, I did enjoy it, but it was very different from my memories of a as a kid of being in the bush. So I used to spend all of my time, all of my holiday time coming back to Africa and going on safari and being back surrounded by wildlife and nature. It was my happy space. It was during one of my safaris that my guide told me that there were field guide courses that anybody could do and train to be a, a guide, which, of course, for me changed everything. I thought it was the best thing I'd ever heard. So very, very quickly booked myself onto them and, yeah, never looked back. Wow, that would have taken quite a, a leap of faith and quite a lot of confidence. Good on you for doing that. Was it, was it quite nerve-wracking? <laughs> You know, it was definitely a big change in lifestyle going from the, I don't know if you've been to Dubai, but that, that Dubai scene of sort of cars and handbags and shoes and sort of getting rid of everything, putting my whole life into a bag and moving. I camped for a year during the training course and had shared bathrooms. There was a time where very early on I was sitting in the ladies' ablutions trying to paint my toenails thinking, what am I doing? <laughs> oh my. 
that was the last time that happened. I gave myself a bit of a shakedown and uh, got my got my head into the new career and yeah, then I was good. <laughs> well, look, I, I think that just sounds absolutely epic. I think so many of us d- dream about having these changes in our life that, you know, push us into more meaningful activities and you actually went and did it. So good on you. That just sounds so super cool. And I'm I'm curious to know what it is about nature in the wild that has made you so passionate to the point of, of making these dramatic changes in your life. Why do you care so much? You know, I think when you're in the beauty of nature, you're surrounded by wildlife. Kate had a really good word to exp- to explain it. It's it's magical, and I think that's the kind of experience it doesn't leave you. And it just well, if anything, it leaves you craving for more. Was there a moment in the wild that you can point to that was particularly influential for you, or has it just been this build up over time, given your exposure to the to, to the wild? through all the many countries you've lived in? (laughs) I suppose two things. One would be my first safari when I was seven years old that I went on with my family. That was something that stayed with me forever. And from that moment, I always dreamed of being a guide, but the moment left me when we traveled. Uh, And then I suppose it, it came back to me again when I was going on safari on holidays. And there was a moment where I was traveling in the Okavango Delta in Botswana And I remember quite clearly sitting in a Makoro, which is a dugout canoe. And we were getting pulled through these beautiful waterways surrounded by reeds. And we came into this wide open plain. And I could see on the far side, there was a big herd of elephants. They were all drinking on the edge. And then behind them, there was the impalas and the puku and everybody just grazing so peacefully behind. The birds were going mad all around us. And I thought that I had found heaven and I couldn't figure out how I was ever going to leave. And it was in that moment, I think, that I decided that I wouldn't. Well, thanks so much, Michelle. Uh, Joy and I can certainly relate to those magical moments in the wild. We have experienced that. And now that we're on to the topic of safari, Kate, let's talk about that amazing experience that you had in Africa that sparked this amazing collaboration between the two of you. Can you tell us a bit about that trip that you went on? Well, going to Africa for the first time, it's just amazing because you get to experience all of these animals and then you get to experience having a guide and what it's like to really go on safari and you get to learn what all the different people do at all the lodges and how they run the place. It's really cool. That's amazing. And what was your favorite thing about the trip? I think my favorite part about the trip was in my favorite animal was the cheetah and probably when Michelle turned to me she's like I have a surprise for you and then we drove and she surprised me seeing a cheetah and it was such so amazing because I learned that cheetahs chirp they don't roar like some other animals I learned a lot of cool facts about cheetahs and it was really cool to see one of my favorite animals out in the wild did you say that cheetahs chirp Yes, they do. <laughs> it's kind of like a bird. It just kind of sounds exactly like what a bird would do because they call out to their mates. That's exactly right. I was just going to say, they're not a roaring cat. They're a meowing cat. And as Kate said, it's it's a bird. It's a little like, chip, chip. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when they were dishing out the animals' different attributes, they were like, okay, you can get the cat and the big teeth and you can get the nice fur <laughs> and uh, cheetah. Sorry, we're out of roars. So you're going to get the cheeping. <laughs> well, they're in a completely different family to lions and leopards. So it's kind of hard to compare them. And also, I want to ask Kate, 
how does the size of a cheetah compare to a lion? Um, they're I think they're like long and they're really skinny. I mean, they're not small, but they're not huge like a lion. I would say they're smaller, but I think they're really cool anyway. And they're very elegant, aren't they? They weigh more. Yes. They move much very more gracefully. Graceful. Yeah. The biggest fact that I, that comes to mind when I think about a cheetah is the speed. Do you have any idea how fast they are, Kate? Um, I think they're about 70 miles per hour. <gasps> 70 miles per hour. <laughs> and that's the fastest in the world, isn't it? Yes. Even faster that's than... That's faster than a Formula One car when they accelerate. Unbelievable. The power to weight ratio, right? Even faster than, than Usain Bolt, right? Oh, far faster. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Kate, um, that, that sounds like you just had the most amazing trip but when did you when did you meet michelle on that uh, safari i met her at my very last lodge and that's where we met and that's where she showed me all the beautiful animals so that's when i went home right after that so we would be able to become pen pals when i became when i came home so we would email back and forth and that was that those would be really the start of our book. Oh, is that right? So that's when you guys decided through email and being pen pals after the safari that why don't we do a book? How did that conversation go? How did that start exactly? Well, I would email Michelle about like my safari and she'd email me back revolving around the same topic with like conservation facts. And it really became the start of our book. Like if you read it, you'll see I talk about my safari. And then on the next page, Michelle talks, say I was talking about a hunt with a lion. The next page, she would talk about lion behaviors. That's really cool. Where in Africa was the safari? In South Africa. Oh, okay. So that's the very, very southern part of the continent of Africa. Yeah. And was it at Kruger or somewhere else? It was in the Sabi Sands. Wow, that is wow. such a wonderful place to be. And M Michelle, we expect that you've probably done hundreds of guided trips, but what does it feel like to guide a guest like Kate, who is so enamored by this experience? Well, it's certainly not every day that you have someone as young as Kate. I mean, bear in mind, she was eight years old when she came on safari. And the questions that she asked me and the conversations that we had about wildlife and conservation really blew my mind, actually. Um, I guess from my point of view, it's just so rewarding being able to pass on a passion to somebody who's so receptive to it. And I suppose also linking back to my first safari, as I said, it was when I was seven and my guide then changed everything I knew and thought about wildlife. So to be able to give that opportunity to, to another young girl was, was really special. It's almost like it came full circle. Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. And I suppose with kids as well, you have the real opportunity to to really influence the way that they see the world and sort of make that magic really real for them, which is so super cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've talked about it quite a lot. And I think that there are all kids have a, an interest in, in the outdoors and, and wildlife, but being able to turn that interest into a passion and then a step forward into advocacy to try and do more to protect wildlife. That's really what, what makes it special. Yeah, very cool, guys. Uh, okay, I want to talk a little bit more about the book. 
Um, so Kate, we actually haven't even mentioned the book's name and the book is called Let's Go on Safari. And as we've already discussed, you and Michelle wrote it together. The, what is the book about exactly? So it's about me and Michelle Safari. We invite our readers to hop in the truck with us. We tell them all about the animals and then we tell them about poaching. And then on the next couple of pages, we tell them, good ways how they can support these animals and how they can help. And why, Kate, did you decide to write this book? Because when I was on safari in Africa, Michelle taught me so many things. And one thing she taught me was that humans were killing animals. So when I came home, I became determined to do something to help. Yeah, and isn't that sad that humans are killing animals? I mean, do you remember why, why that's happening? What are some of the big reasons around why humans are killing animals. They're killing rhinos because of their horn. It's made out of keratin because um, they think it's it cures cancer when it really doesn't. And uh, rhino's horn is actually made of the same things as your fingernails. So if you wanted keratin, you can just bite your fingernails. <laughs> yeah, that would be a way more efficient way to get it, right? Yes. <laughs> and Michelle, you are so super busy with another very exciting project, which we're hoping to hear about shortly. Um, but we're curious to get your reflections. Why did you decide to take on this project with Kate? Um, and why did you decide it was, it was an important thing to do? From an education point of view, what I've learned guiding is that there's not a lot of people who realize the the scale of poaching and the threats facing wildlife. So when Kate took it on as much as she did and she became so interested in trying to make a difference, I felt that it was really important to support and to continue to support her ideas. So when she wrote to me and said, would I like to be involved with this book to help teach other kids and her generation how to help save wildlife? I thought it was such a fantastic idea and I was really excited to be a part of the project with her. And building on that thought, as someone who's been working now on the front lines of conservation for some time, what keeps you up at night? Why is it so important for us all to care about these issues? Well, I think having worked with a number of anti-poaching units and as well as working in the industry for, for some time, you really learn about what the threats are. Uh, so knowing, for example, that there are eight to 12 poaching groups in the Kruger National Park at any one time makes me shiver, you know, thinking of poachers walking around at night and going after our beautiful wildlife. It's, it's really not a nice thought. Um, on top of that is that if we don't do something right now, it will be too late. It's heartbreaking to think that rhinos, elephants, even giraffes are going to go extinct in Kate's lifetime if we all don't do something about it right now. And so if I'm up at night thinking about stuff like that, it's, it's really hard to get out of my head. Oh, yeah. I mean, we were in Kruger a couple of years ago, and I remember going to Kruger as a kid and seeing, you know, like maybe one rhino in a four-day trip, you know, one or two rhinos, and that was like a very exciting thing. And then we saw on this trip, we saw 25 white rhinos in two days. And it was because they had pushed all of the rhinos from the north up, to, you know, down to the south as a way to try and protect them more. And we saw this little baby, this like this the little baby with the, you know, like a big wound in its side the one morning. And I was just so heartbroken by the whole experience you know even though we got to see 25 rhinos it was like this weird feeling of like this is actually not cool to see so many rhinos in one place it's it's not natural and it's yeah and they just looked so traumatized it's hard I had a I had a similar sort of traumatizing 
experience when we were traveling in Zambia, we were helping a conservation education club, Chipembele. And it was, it was quite interesting, actually. They were linked with an Australian zoo program in Adelaide on a conservation exchange. So they were sending these kids from Mfui in Zambia, which is a tiny little village on the edge of South Luangwa across to Australia to learn about Australian conservation ideas. And then the Australian kids were coming to Zambia. And we were interviewing these kids about why they wanted to go there and, you know, try and drum up a little bit of support and funding for them. And this one little girl, her name was Fanny Zulu. A lot of the kids there come from families where human wildlife conflict is quite a big issue. So you've got elephants coming out of the game reserves and raiding the crops because it's great food for them. But of course, that's the family's food. And you can imagine the conflict that ensues. Anyway, so this this club aims to try and bridge that gap. And this little girl, Fanny Zulu, came from one of those families and she said the reason that she wants to go to Australia is to see two animals that she's heard of but never seen that she really would love to see. And one of them is a kangaroo and the other was a rhino. Oh, that's just heartbreaking. It is when you bear in mind that the South Luangwa Valley was one of Southern Africa's strongholds for, for white rhinos and they've been poached to extinction there. And this little girl thinks that she's got to travel to Australia to see a rhino. Oh, man, that's just, yeah, that makes me want to cry. How horrible. Uh, you know that the um, in Adelaide, I think, I think it's now in Adelaide, they're doing this uh, um, Australian rhino project where they're trying to bring South African rhinos over um, as part of a sort of insurance breeding herd. Uh, that they would, yeah, they would breed them over here and then and then ship them back one day if the demand ever was to drop, uh, which is just so sad that that even has to happen, isn't it? I know. But at least as humans, we've got the power to make a difference. Which is a very nice segue into my next question. Kate, I have been following on your super exciting path on Instagram. You've been doing radio and TV interviews and you've been teaching the kids at school about these issues. How have you found the experience of being an author and using this book to help teach others? Um, I think it's a really cool experience being an author because you get to know what, like, when I read books, I look at the author's name and I know what they've gone through. Like, I know how they had to write multiple drafts and I know how they have to, they try to promote their book. So it's really cool actually being an author and reading other people's books and getting to learn more about other people's books and teaching other people about our book. Yeah, it must be such an interesting experience. Have you had any um, of, of the kids or grown-ups that you've spoken to just be shocked about the state of animals in Africa after reading your book? Yes. Well, I have a nine-year-old marketing director. Her name <laughs> is Magdalene, and she's created a logo for us. And when I shared my story with her, she was so surprised that all these things were happening to these animals. So then she got so involved she was so helpful she made lo a logo and put it on t-shirts water bottles and bags she's been a big help and now she's a big part of my life in conservation wow she sounds like a real proper wildlife warrior as well i've seen that logo it's really very very cool we'll make sure that we put a picture of it on our show notes so that everybody can see that amazing design but i i wanted to ask kate after writing your book how many of your friends now want to go on safari? A lot of them, because after my book, they're like, wow, it's really cool going on safari. I want to go. So it's really encouraged them. Did you tell them specific stories about animals that you saw, like when you saw the cheetah 
or the lions. Yeah. Yeah, where they're like, wow, that's so crazy. Yes. I also want to ask, Kate, what kind of animals do you get in Austin, Texas for any of our international listeners who have never been there? Well, right here in Austin, we don't see much animals, only like birds and squirrels. And sometimes we hear coyotes at night. Wow. So there's not any big time animals here. But I mean, that's still very exciting, isn't it? I mean, like if you think about <laughs> it from someone's perspective who doesn't live in america and is not exposed to those types of animals just like you found the animals in south africa amazing we would find those animals amazing like i think the first time i thought saw a squirrel i almost lost my mind i was so excited <laughs> um kate i understand that you've also included three world-renowned conservation organizations in the book can you tell us about those yes we are supporting the jane girl institute global wildlife conservation and the sheldrick wildlife trust um those are all the, the those are where the proceeds from our book support and um we talk a lot about them in our book and how you can support them. And they're doing some pretty good stuff to save animals, right? I know that the David Sheldrick one, you can even adopt an elephant, isn't that right? Yes, you can adopt an elephant for $50 a year. Wow, that is, that's such a bargain. To be able to know that you've actually um, supported a baby elephant's life for a whole year for only $50 is pretty amazing. Yes really great experience and Kate now I haven't heard the latest on when the book's been released and where people can buy it can you give us an overview of that so our book launch actually starts tomorrow on May 6th and you can buy it on my website kidscansaveanimals.com it gives you a straight link to Amazon and you get to learn a lot about me Michelle Magdalene and a lot other people who have supported me on this journey thanks Kate and Michelle it would be crazy for us not to talk about wild, wonderful world as it is such an exciting project. Can you give us an overview of what that's about? Thanks so much. Absolutely. Uh, wild, wonderful world is a project of mine and my partner grants. It's our mission to connect people from around the world to conservation projects in Africa. So we focus on three different things. We offer conservation safaris, wildlife volunteer programs, and also corporate conservation initiatives. So three different prongs you, you've got there. When did you guys start? Wild Wonderful World, we created at the beginning of a conservation expedition. So we left our, our full-time guiding jobs in November 2017 and had this crazy idea of living in our Land Rover for a year and traveling the continent of Africa to learn more about the dangers facing wildlife and also specifically the projects on the ground that are working to help save animals. And we called that first expedition Wild Wonderful World. So when we got back a year later, we really wanted to formalize what we were doing and help connect people to the projects that we found. So that's where Wild Wonderful World, the company came in and now we're, we're going forward to continue to connect people and, and raise awareness and education for those, for those projects. Just reading on your website, it was, it was 393 days, right? As you said, a year around Africa. That must have been incredible. Can you share with us some of the more memorable experiences you had? <laughs> it was quite a year. I think the biggest thing was it was such an eye-opening experience uh, traveling sort of, well, not on foot, but, you know, on land, going through the different countries. It's pretty hard to, to think of a specific moment 
I would say overall was just experiencing the diversity of Africa, seeing the different species of animals and birds and the landscape, how it changed from even one area to the next within a single country, let alone from the impenetrable forests in Uganda to the open plains in, in the Maasai Mara. It was just, I think, especially from a guide's point of view, it was mind blowing. And then, of course, there's all those crazy stories of the suicide drivers and getting stuck in potholes that were bigger than Ngorogoro Crater. And <laughs> Oh, gosh. Um, getting stuck in, in, in mud in the middle of, of game reserves and having to dig ourselves out while the elephants are milling around the edge. Um, we had a lot of <laughs> we had a lot of funny stories, um, but it was it was an absolute blast, and we're still friends. We we're still talking even after living in the car together for a year. So that's all good news. <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> that's fantastic. I I can only I mean a lot of people I don't think appreciate the size of Africa. Africa is massive. It's a huge continent. I saw some comparison. You could fit. North America, most of Europe, even Australia into into Africa. It's huge. On, on top of the fact that it's such a huge continent, in a lot of the places, the roads are so bad and the, the speed limits are so low that you can't really get much higher than 60 kilometers an hour. So you can imagine how long it takes to get from one area to the next. <laughs> <laughs> 393 days, as it turns out. Yeah, right? <laughs> what, what were some of the perhaps key things that you learned about about conservation in Africa? Coming from South Africa, the game reserves, most of the game reserves are fenced. And when you leave the South African border, you enter into what feels like an entire wilderness area, completely intermixed with communities. So you go through the Serengeti, the Maasai Mara, Botswana's Alkavango Delta, and there's no fences. And I don't think I ever really appreciated what that meant for conservation. And what that means actually on the ground is human wildlife conflict. So whereas in South Africa, you know, you might have Kruger National Park fenced, which by the way, is the same size as the Serengeti. So don't underestimate it as a small zoo-like enclosure because it most certainly is not. But you don't have the same problem as you would outside of the border where elephants are raiding crops or people are able to get into the reserves easily to catch antelopes to feed their family, for example. And so I think the biggest thing we learned about conservation is this issue of human wildlife conflict. And as a, as a sort of solution to, to the problem was the number of different projects we met trying to find ways to, to reduce the problem. Um, and so, you know, you've got grassroots programs that are working to create solutions where elephants can't raid farms so we talked about it in let's go on safari in our book i'm sure you remember kate with the the elephant fences with bees and it's this brilliant idea where it's really true elephants don't like bees and if you put a fence and hang beehives along the fence the elephants won't come near the farm and if they do they knock the wire on the fence it jogs the bee boxes it disturbs the bees they swarm out and then swarm after the elephants fly up their trunks sting them and it just makes them run away it's a hugely effective way of keeping elephants out of out of people's farms and crops and then on top of that the farmers can harvest the honey sell the honey get an alternative form of income which is, makes them in turn less likely to want to go into these national parks and reserves 
to snare wildlife to either sell or feed their family because they've got that alternative income to be able to do so. Um, and so it was really interesting to learn about those different types of organizations and those different types of projects and how they work. Just a bit of creative thinking, right? It reminds me of that story of the 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 boy in Kenya who did that amazing TED talk about setting up solar powered lights uh, in his front garden or in, in his, I don't know, garden's probably the wrong word, but um, around the kraal, you know, to stop the, li- the lions from coming in and stealing his, his parents' um, goats and other cattle. Have you heard that story? I have. It's exactly the same thing that we're just talking about is, you know, whether it's elephants raiding crops or lions coming out to try and take an easy kill with a a, a goat or a a cow, you know, it's, it's ingenious, the ideas that people are having to, to keep, to keep animals away. And what I loved about reading his story was he's a kid, you know, advocacy doesn't have an age limit. You look at Kate, you look at this, this young man, Kate's got another friend, Addie, who's who's advocating for gorillas. This is really the generation that we need to be looking at to to make a difference now for us. So inspiring. Mm, and I, I think just just knowing that there are kids out there and as you said, people of all ages who, who care about these things, I think the future does indeed look bright. Michelle, how can listeners get hold of you and support Wild Wonderful World? You can reach us on our website. It's wildwonderfulworld.com. And we discuss our different programs in there from the conservation safaris to wildlife volunteering. And so you can send us a message on there and we can help you connect to conservation. Michelle, I just wanted to ask you one or two more questions about that. Well, firstly, I just wanted to make an observation. I don't know if you've seen this whole van life movement on Instagram and other socials, the hashtag van life. (laughs) I think you need to be like van life on steroids or you need a like a, a, a hashtag that just um, explains how your van life was just the next level van life but we're a little bit crazy we did our own one we did a hashtag landy life landy life okay <laughs> good that's uh, a pretty cool land rover you had by the way yeah epic really thank you very very cool and the other thing that i wanted to ask you about was the the volunteering i when i had a quick look at your website Um, selfishly, I was like, that is something I would love to do because it looked like it was real volunteering, you know, like actually helping on the ground. How would, you know, just for the the sake of anyone out there who might be interested in doing something like that, how would it actually play out? What What is exactly the offering there? So we help to connect people to conservation projects in Africa, really based on what we wanted to do when we first left on our expedition, and that's to get involved on the ground. So short, a uh, short answer is that we we match people based on their interests, whether it be helping with rehabilitation, whether it's helping from a more of a scientific point of view, if you like research and monitoring, uh, and then we match you to a project that actually needs your help on the ground. The point about ethical volunteering, I think, is an important one. What is the the view there on what an ethical volunteering project would look like? I think it's to make sure that the project that you're working for is doing a really genuine job of, for example, releasing animals back into the wild. You know, there's a lot of bad press about um, whether it be canned hunting um, or these rehabilitation centers where you go and you spend a lot of time physically interacting with wildlife. And if you're trying to release that animal back into the wild, if you're petting it and encouraging interaction with humans, the likelihood of it surviving and and 
doing well in the wild is pretty slim. And so when we talk about ethical volunteering and ethical experiences, it's just to make sure that what you're doing is is having a genuine impact and that you're all working together for the right reasons and the right cause. Absolutely. And now you as a, as a guest coming in and helping volunteering, you pay money to do that. And that money presumably goes towards those conservation efforts, as well as the impact of your actual labor, physical labor on the trip. Is that right? Quite right. I know at first it seems a little bit crazy to, that you've got to pay to volunteer and not all projects. It's not the case for all projects, but on the most part, it's such a, a, a valuable source of income uh, to be able to allow these projects to continue their work that you do end up paying a donation to the project that you're working for um, that includes covering your your food and accommodation and so you're not only donating your time but you're donating financially which has a huge impact on the project that you're working with yeah and as you said more and more people these days um, especially those of us who are spoiled in that we've managed to travel quite a bit, you know, like someone like me and Lyle, for example, we've managed to travel quite a bit now and are super privileged in that we've been to a lot of places and we've seen a lot of things. And to actually do something where we we can impact um, the communities and the environment that we would be visiting by doing something like that would be such a good use of money and time. And How's it going so far? Sorry, one more question on that because I just think it's such a great idea. How is the how is the wild wonderful world been going? Have you seen much traction? Are people coming? It's been really good so far. Thanks so much for asking. Um we've booked a couple of conservation safaris, so we've got a very busy summer ahead. Um one of those starting with with Kate and her family in Kenya. We're going to be working with all pegeta um focusing really really on rhinos and then we'll be working or volunteering at a wildlife sorry at a rhino rehabilitation center care for wild back in in south africa so that's going well um we've we've also connected a few people to volunteer projects in south africa but what's been the most surprising one actually is the corporate conservation because there's not really a lot of a lot of people out there that are helping corporates and businesses connect conservation to their their social responsibility packages or, or structures and so to be able to to give them the opportunity to bring wildlife into into the office is is a really great one and I think from my background of having worked in an office before you know not everybody does have the opportunity to to spend time in wild in the wild and you know if we can bring just a just a touch of the wild into the workplace and and make it a a really positive relationship on both sides and worthwhile on both sides, then that's great. That's a brilliant idea. Now, I didn't realize you guys were going to have an amazing, another reunion shortly in Kenya and then in South Africa. That's so exciting. Kate, are you excited about that? Yes, I am very excited. Cool. And so do are you going to be doing some hands-on conservation work on, on that trip? Yes, we are. We're going to two rhino orphanage where we really get to help with them we we're gonna feed them their milk and care for them for a week oh my gosh you must be so excited about that i hope this leads to book number two yes it will (laughs) very cool so now this episode is going to be released on endangered species day and is a great opportunity for us all to reflect Kate, what message would you like to send out to kids and adults out there who might want to help save our world's precious creatures? I think 
try your hardest, even if it doesn't happen. You did your best, and you should be proud. And you can, if you believe in something, just never give up and follow your dreams. Absolutely, and also the other thing that I remember you saying a lot, Kate, in your on your Instagram and other pages, is that kids can save animals. Do you want to do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yes, I say kids can save animals a lot because I really do believe that, and that also is the name of my website. We really believe in that statement because we and advocacy has no age limit. It doesn't matter how old you are, you can advocate for anything you believe in. So I really think those are. Things that people should really take in, and in fact, it's even more important that kids do this than than adults because kids are the future. So it's it's yes. it's almost critical for kids to take on these these jobs of helping save our animals, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, and Michelle, for you, if you could have one message truly heard by every human on this planet, what would it be? I'd say, don't ever feel like you're too insignificant to make a difference. Take Kate as example. You know, as she says exactly, advocacy has no age limit. It doesn't matter if you're on your own or if you're in a group of friends or in a classroom. We've all got to work together on this. And one step at a time, together we're going to help save animals. And now, Kate, what's next for the book, Let's Go on Safari? What have you guys got planned in the next couple of weeks while Michelle's in America? Well, tomorrow we have a book signing at Book People at 2 p.m., and also tomorrow we are heading to New York and we, we're having book signings there at the Strand and we have some TV interviews there and then we go to LA and I get my um, marketing director Magdalene is coming with us there. So we are all going to have fun there together and then we fly back to Austin. Michelle gets to come and see my school and present to them and then she leaves. Wow, that sounds so exciting. You guys have got such a cool itinerary to look forward to. And I'm sure you're going to have heaps of fans that are just going to want to meet you and get a signed copy of that book. Kate, I just want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast. And as I said before, we think the future looks really bright knowing that um, there are kids like you in the world who raise awareness like this in a very unique and beautiful way. And to you, Michelle, thank you so much for what you're doing. We really wish you all the best with Wild Wonderful World. We are very excited to follow along both of your journeys and continue to hear about the amazing impact you're no doubt both making and will continue to make. Thank you so much. And thank you for having us as guests on Sustainable Jungle. Yes, thank you. One thing we forgot to mention during the interview is that all royalties from the sale of Kate and Michelle's book go to either the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust, the Jane Goodall Institute, or Global Wildlife Conservation. If you feel compelled to support some incredible organizations on this Endangered Species Day, there will be a link to purchase Kate and Michelle's book in the show notes and links to each of these three organizations. Thank you for listening and may the wild be with you.